All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. Thank you very much for uh, checking us out on this lovely Friday of recording. I've been fascinated over the past two and a half years with the psychological and mental gymnastics that are required to deal with the kinds of things we've been dealing with. We've talked a lot about fear paralyzing good decision-making. We've talked about making decisions out of emotion and faith versus reason, critical thinking and logic, and the dangers associated with all that. And today I just kind of wanted to dip into the psychology a little bit more and take a look at the reasons for this. I think it's very important to understand why people are acting and feeling a certain way. It kind of helps us better understand them and really what's going on. And, and hopefully, you know, you can learn something because this is stuff that I've learned through very limited college experience, as well as my friends over at TMI with Tony and Michelle, their podcast. They talk a lot about these kind of subjects. I figured we would take some time today to go through those and try to better understand what and why and why people are feeling the way they feel, right? So the three lessons from the last two years when it comes down to the psychology of how, how people are just dealing with the shit we've been dealing with, three lessons that have been a good takeaway is it doesn't matter what's true, it's what you can get the people to believe, Right. And that's why we talk a lot about truth being so important in just the foundation of a free and healthy society. Because once the truth no longer matters, we covered this a lot, bad shit happens. Right. So it doesn't matter what's true, it matters what you can get people to believe. Okay. The second takeaway is if you can control the information flow, you can control what people believe. Right. We've said that a bunch. You control the narrative, you can control society. I mean, famous philosophers have been saying that shit since before Christ. And the third thing is, if you can emotionally manipulate a conclusion, then it can't be dislodged by facts, reason, or logic. So these are three things that I've come to understand in today's day and age with what's going on, right? And this is why I talk about it a lot, because it's very hard to wrap my head around that. And it's also, frankly, it's scary when you consider those points. So no matter, and that last one, right? If you can emotionally manipulate a conclusion, it can't be dislodged by facts, reason, or logic. And that's where I find myself a lot trying to have discussions with people that don't think the same as me. I just feel like I have a decent amount of indisputable evidence. However, it doesn't matter what I'm bringing to the table because... I cannot break through because they did not arrive at their conclusion on facts and logic. They arrived emotionally. So I think this is a very important topic for today because there's a shitload of emotion, right? Because, hey, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of unknowns. And when this kind of shit happens, you, you go to the experts. And as we're going to go through here, that's people want to believe experts because they don't have the time, interest intellectual capacity, skills to learn the necessary knowledge, right? So they just default to the experts. And if we haven't learned anything in this past two years, that might not be the best way to go. Most people have stability privilege is I think one of the words I, I read. And they think that, oh, it's not, that's not possible. 
right? So to, to any potentially bad thing that's discussed, it's just not possible that people would be bad actors or take advantage of that situation. And even when it becomes really clear that we've been fooled, the vast majority reject that part because you cannot argue rationally with the conclusion arrived at emotionally. You know, we'll, 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 I'm going to probably find 10 different ways to say that, but it's so true. And this is kind of the thing that I'm, I'm waking up to, right? I just thought if we can rationally get there through a conversation in good faith, when we bring facts and logic and critical thinking to the table, we can just solve all the problems, right? That was my, my naive thinking of, Hey, let me just start a podcast and try to get people to think differently. It'll, you know, everyone will win. Everyone will benefit, right? I'm not trying to get everyone to think the way I'm thinking, but just think for themselves. And as I'm going down this road and the further I go, the more I'm realizing how hard it is and damn near impossible to argue rationally with people that are so emotionally invested in their beliefs. It's the, the vaccines, COVID itself, like anything, anything that somebody has arrived emotionally, it's very hard to have that back and forth. I was a little demoralized as I learned more about this, but I think once you peel back that onion and look at the psychology, it makes a little bit more sense. And maybe this tactic is to try to get people to be aware of why they're thinking what they're thinking, right? Maybe that'll help people open up that door and let a little reason in and move that emotion off to the side. We are not rational beings with emotion. We are emotional beings with the capacity to reason. Does that make sense? Right? So that the fear, the, all that terror, disgust, all those emotions are tied to our immediate survival instincts, right? And they're the most powerful ones of all because that's how we've got this far in evolution is because we have those things. We have those survival mechanisms to keep us alive. Unfortunately, they are also the ones connected to us that gives us a sense of moral superiority. So fear is a mind killer, right? It shuts your brain off. The fear will not allow you to think rationally and clearly. In first impressions... They matter. You know, we make snap decisions based on our gut reactions and then rationalize the search for evidence to support those reactions later. So again, emotion. And that's why when we talk about messaging and when we talk about the news and we're talking about all this shit, why it's bad when it's wrong is because generally it's people's first impression. When they hear something, that just gets, that's their fucking go-to default to regurgitate on that subject. And then they do, then they like reverse engineer the facts around that because that, that's in their head first, right? If you were told these vaccines weren't safe first and then people that wanted you to get them had to convince you, that would have been a bigger, that would have been a way different scenario than everyone coming out of the gate telling you they're safe and effective and to take them. And then the other people that like, wait, they're not, right? Do you see how that, see how that changes? And what really got me going down this road was uh, a quote from Carl Sagan. And this, this really spoke to what's going on now. He said, quote, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. 
Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back, end quote. Amazing. And you can tell that was from back in the day because that's the most time I've ever said fucking bamboozle in a long time. When I read that initially, it made a lot of sense to me and it fucking crushed me because it made me think that getting to where we need to go with critical thinking and to not be taken advantage of by bad actors was impossible. So I've, I've been brought back from the brink. I no longer think it's absolutely hopeless. And the other thing I realized, it doesn't even matter how smart or intelligent you are or educated. Like, this affects everybody. And it's almost the smarter, more intelligent, the more educated you are, the more easily you can be fooled. We don't, as humans, want to admit we've been taken, right? Like that friend or family member or countless others, the, like that vast... The vast majority would rather cling to that illusion that all is well, everything's good, rather than admit they've been deceived. They're clinging to this vision in their head that everything's stable, people are good. They'd rather live there than admit that hate is a darkness and there are bad actors in a world which they live. They'd rather not admit that civilization is that like thin little line over just the fucking chaos below it. They would rather trust, even when that trust is misplaced and more importantly, obviously misplaced, right? So they'd rather trust people, even if their claims are too good to be true. I've always talked about what happened to people's skepticism when it comes to COVID, because people are so skeptical in their everyday life. When you try to sell them a product, they'll do their their, their research, they'll read the reviews. They, you know, they will not just willfully just accept stuff because you told them to. But in this case, in this scenario, because of the fear and all the other stuff, they are doing it. So one of the other things I wanted to cover today, how where this all ties back to is cognitive dissonance. And that refers to a situation with conflicting attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors. Okay, this is I I think this is a good time to look at this because this is will explain why people act the way they do and make decisions the way they do. And it kind of ties in nicely to the whole COVID thing because there is a lot of cognitive dissonance that goes on. Cognitive dissonance produces a feeling of mental discomfort and it leads to an alteration of either attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors to reduce that discomfort, right? So basically the cognitive dissonance is when there's a feeling in your head that is not comfortable and that kind of prompts you to try to fix it in in a couple different ways, right? Whether it's an attitude, belief, or a behavior. And you, you need to fix it to restore balance to your head because your head's like, does, does something fucking wrong? Do something about it. So then your brain does something about it. Cognitive dissonance was first investigated by Leon Festinger. This is really cool because it came out of a participant observation study of a cult. And this cult believed that the, the, the earth was going to be destroyed by a flood. So what happened was the flood never came. And so this Leon Festinger looked at those cult members to try to figure out, well, now what? What, what happened to the members, right? Real, especially the really committed ones that gave up their homes and their jobs to come work for this cult, all thinking this flood was going to come to end the earth. And then it didn't happen. What he found out is while fringe members were more inclined to recognize that they've been made a fool of, and they just you know, chalked it up to, you know, fucking experience. They learned, they, you know, all right, shame on, shame on me. You know, fool me once, shame on me type of deal. 
But those committed members, the diehards, man, they were more likely to reinterpret the evidence to show that they were right all along, right? So they would convince themselves like, well, the earth wasn't destroyed because of our faithfulness. Because of the cult, we saved the earth. So do you see how one situation, two people can look at that very differently and make whatever they need to make upstairs in their head to deal with it? The group that wasn't really invested was like, ah, fuck it. I, I, I was taken for a ride. But the guys that really fucking went all in, and we're going to talk about effort in a little bit, but the ones that put a, the most effort in, nope. They were doing the mental gymnastics in their head and just completely changing how they interpreted the situation to make themselves feel better. Festinger's cognitive dissonant theory, this is from the 19, late 1950s. It suggests that we have an inner drive to hold all of our attitudes and behaviors in harmony and avoid disharmony. So that disharmony, that, that's what they call the dissidence, that's that uncomfortable feeling in your brain. When there is an inconsistency between our attitudes and behaviors, something must change to eliminate the dissidence. So that's what we're talking about. So when you get that, that thing in your brain that, that doesn't feel good, something has to change it to eliminate it. That's just how our brains work. So this is a quote from Saul McLeod on the cognitive dissidence. He said, quote, Notice that dissident theory does not state that these modes of dissidence reduction will actually work. Only that the individuals who are in a state of cognitive dissidence will take steps to reduce the extent of the dissidents. End quote. So what he's saying there is like, hey, just because you're going to take steps to reduce it doesn't mean it's guaranteed to work. All he's saying is they will take steps to try to reduce it. Okay, so it's not a guarantee, but you're going to try to fucking make your brain feel okay. The dissidents can be reduced in three different ways, and this is what I want to cover today in relation to the just the current events of the world. So you combat the dissidents in your brain by three ways. One, forced compliance behavior. Two, decision-making. And three, effort. Let's look at the first one, forced compliance behavior. So when someone is forced to do something publicly, especially when it's something they privately don't want to do, the dissidence is created in their head, right? Because they didn't want to do it, but they did it. So forced compliance occurs when an individual performs an action that's inconsistent with his or her beliefs. The, the behavior can't be changed since it's already happened. So this is after you've made that decision, the dissidents will need to be reduced by reevaluating their attitude on what they've done. So this is kind of like what we just talked about with the cult members. They chose to live in this cult. They've already made that decision. They can't undo that. But then the flood never came. So then they were forced to reevaluate their attitude and then they changed it. And the example I wanted to use for today, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was the people that took the vaccine out of pressure from family members or to keep their jobs, right? Because they, they changed their attitude on the vaccine because in their head, privately before they took it, they did not want it. But publicly, they were either forced, coerced, or felt like they should, and they did it. So they changed their attitude on the vaccine because their public action did not jive with how they felt privately. It went from a, no way, I'm not fucking taking that, to a, that's eh, no big deal, I'll take it, I'll keep my job. I mean, what am I going to do, right? And, we, and there was a lot of that going on, not just with the vaccines, but with masks, with, with fucking everything. The second way that dissidents can be reduced is that decision-making. And this is another good one where I thought of public schools. 
as COVID hit, there was a lot of talk of do I keep my kid in public schools, the remote learning, the COVID theater bullshit, the masks, all this unknowns. A lot of parents were asking themselves, what should I do? From a cognitive dissident standpoint, this is kind of how it went, right? Do you stay in public school or not? So now you have a decision to make. It's a yes or a no. There are going to be pros and cons to say. There's going to be pros and cons to go. This coping mechanism is how you justify making one decision over the other. So, hey, do you keep the kids in school with their friends? That's a positive, and it's just what you've always been doing, so there's, a, there's some comfort there. But the cons would be, well, they got to mask up, they got to deal with the COVID theater, you know, at the kid's expense, right? The whole reason you're thinking about this because you're trying to think of what you do that's best for your kids, so as you're weighing that public school thing, you're like, oh, well, you get the pros, you got the cons. And then you look at the other option you have, and let's pull your kids out of school. So now you got to deal with them missing their friends. Then you deal with them being pissed at you. So that's a con. But the pro is you don't have to deal with the COVID bullshit. Parents in this example will increase the attractiveness of the chosen alternative to decrease the attractiveness of the rejected alternative. Does that make sense? So the parents that chose to stay in public school will increase the attractiveness of that decision by decreasing the attractiveness of pulling their kids out. So that's how you deal with that cognitive dissonance in your brain of being forced to make a decision, and then this is how you rationalize it to yourself. And the third way to deal with the dissonance is through effort justification. And this is another one that is right down the alley of the COVID hysteria we've all been dealing with. If you put a lot of effort in to getting people to mask up and to get vaccinated in the interest of public health and safety, if you were one of those people spearheading that movement, you know, you did all you can do, you know, you, did, you were an outspoken proponent on social media with your friends and your family, you were just like, hey, this is, you know, you were very passionate about this project. You put a lot of effort into it. But when the truth is revealed that the vaccines only protect the person that got it, the masks don't really work. Those people are motivated to try to think that they succeeded in helping people regardless of the new information that comes in. So they'll focus on the good they think they did because they put so much effort in rather than being like, ah, oh, shit, all my effort was for naught, right? And I think that ties in nicely to all the emotional shit we've been talking about earlier is because they've arrived at thinking all that shit was a good idea emotionally They'll never be able to be told any truth, facts, or anything logically to change their mind. If we put effort into a task which we have chosen to carry out and the task turns out badly, we experience that dissidence. And to reduce that dissidence, we are motivated to try and think that the task turned out well. That's that effort justification. So that's Cognitive Dissidence 101. Thank you very much for joining us today. And just as a scientific disclaimer, there is a problem from a scientific point of view because we cannot physically observe cognitive dissonance, so therefore we can't objectively measure it. It's, be it's behavior. Consequently, the term cognitive dissonance is somewhat subjective. I did want to acknowledge that because we do care about facts and science, but this is a very well-studied theory, and I thought it was worth looking at because it explains so much about what we're all going through today. How do we apply this going forward? That I'm not sure about. 
I'm still working that out in my head, but I think knowing it will help you deal with these situations. And maybe by explaining this part of it, you might have a better chance to spark a little curiosity in the person you're talking to to maybe look at things a little differently rather than bringing all those facts, reason, and logic and critical thinking to the table when all they brought to the table was emotion. I got six pairs of Nikes by the front door. I got six more by the TV, so it's war. The only time I pick them up to put them on my feet. And that's the reason why my girl is trying to kill me in my sleep. Every time I go to change the trash bag in the barrel, it gets stuck because it's overflowing with dirty apparel. I don't do laundry, I just buy new socks and undies. I don't give a fuck, I've been this way since I was rocking gumbies. I love this girl to death, but I'm starting to wonder Does she love me back or does she really want me six feet under? Cause she claims I don't do anything around the house But play a game of cat and mouse with Foxy and Mio They tearing up the couch I said I love them, she said if you really love them You would change their kitty litter Not just feed them crap and bug them Please back on up cause you're in the way I'm trying to watch the game girl